The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Today's episode is brought to you by the new podcast, Dog Smarts. Each episode features leading researchers and academics that tackle the questions of language, memory, intelligence, and even love as they pertain to our dogs. Subscribe to Dog Smarts on iTunes right now. Welcome to the Edge of Sports podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. We have a clapback show this week. Clapback! on the Washington Post for their poll that claimed to show 90% of Native Americans are not offended by the name of the Washington football team, which, in case you don't know, is Redskins, which is a dictionary-defined racial slur. The contention of this podcast is that the Post poll, not just methodologically, but ethically, is a dumpster fire. And to break down why, our guest this week is Jacqueline Keeler. Jacqueline is a Navajo Yankton Dakota Sioux writer living in Portland, Oregon, and she is the co-founder of the organization Eradicating Offensive Native Mascotry, who were the creators of the hashtag NotYourMascot. We also have a response to Jackie's criticisms, criticisms again that, to be clear, I absolutely share by the polling manager of The Washington Post, Scott Clement. Scott declined to appear on the show, but he did provide a written statement that I will read. Then I got some choice words for Dan Snyder, an open letter that I wrote in 2013 for the Grantland site that I'm updating, where I challenge him to put his money and his bigotry where his mouth is. So let's do it. Let's talk to Jackie Keeler. So Jackie Keeler, what what was your reaction when you first heard about the poll? Well, I am a sociology major, and it's hard to believe that a poll could be so different than my own experiences. I mean, I have 50 first cousins, and they're all tribally enrolled in two different tribes. And then that doesn't include my extended family and the communities I've lived in across the country, uh, different Native communities. And it's, it's just that number in no way reflects my experiences with Native people. It's, in fact, completely unrelatable. And so I definitely felt that there was a problem with the methodology. Phone calling is a very difficult way to get a representative sample. Yeah, let's talk about the flaws in the poll. So the one is the phone calling. Yes. That you mentioned. What what, what are some of the others? Well, you know, when I look at the, um, the demographics of the people who answered, one of the things that really is very strange is, is more than half of the people um, were over the age of 50. Okay. Wow. More than half of people they polled were over the age of 50. 
Yeah, 274 of them, about 54% were over the age of 50. If you know anything about the Native community, you know that it's a very, very young population. It's much younger than the rest of the U.S. population. We also have one of the lowest um, life expectancies. By the time my dad was in his 50s, you know, when we went back to the reservation, pretty much everyone from his age group was dead. Wow. All the native, all the Yankton Sioux men were dead. When I worked on the Navajo Nation, I ran a scholarship program and I got to travel around a lot. And the Navajo Nation is the size of Ireland. I mean, the Navajo Nation, the majority of them are under the age of 29. They only interviewed 76 people under the age of 30. Geez, they only interviewed 76 people under the age of 30. Yeah. and um, Wow. About 79 of the people identified as Hispanic. So this is out of 504. And um, 79 out of 504 identified as Hispanic. Yes. And, um, and it, you know, in the um, U.S. census polls, as the comparison, only 0.3% identified as Hispanic. <laughs> so <laughs> only a few of the responses were from the West. 18 out of the 20th largest native populations in the country are in the West. That's according to the U.S. Census. And they only had 58 respondents from the mountain region area where most Native people are, and then 86 from the Pacific region of the country. Hmm. The average respondent of this is a white male over 50 from the South. (laughs) I'm going to repeat that. The average respondent to the Washington Post poll is a white male over the age of 50 from the South. Unbelievable. They really would have to verify that these people are Native. They would have to call the tribes, check their enrollment. They would have to actually talk to their families and make sure they're actually culturally connected. That level of of thing would have to go before the data of this poll can be taken in any way seriously. They've basically polled people who are appropriating our identity to have permission to appropriate our identity at will. (laughs) There's this other number of the methodology of the poll that a lot of people are pointing to, and I want to get your response to it. Many Native American activists, the Journalists Association of Native Americans, the NAJA, pointed out that 56% of the people they talked to could not name their tribe. They could not name their 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 nation. Um, yeah, I, why, why is that so important to point out? Well, there's there's an issue of of native identity that's at the heart of both this poll and the issue of mass of, of being mascotted, and we basically don't know if these people were actually native or not. I actually just got a text back from the Washington Post pollsters, and they told me they did not actually verify that if any of these people were native or not. Wow. It's totally not even the ones who said they were enrolled. None of them have been verified. So not one person the Washington Post polled was verified. No, we don't know if any of these 504 people are actually Native American. This is a big issue because there's this huge phenomenon in American culture of claiming to be Indian, even if you're not. And so, you know, it is really an issue. I mean, being Native American is not just an ethnicity. It's a political status. We are citizens of sovereign nations. It's like being French or German. Some tribes have lost a lot of their political status because of genocide. But there are ways of determining whether or not you belong to a Native community, a Native family. And those are the questions that needed to be asked. They were not asked. And I actually, um, I spoke to Jim Fedelin, who did a study um, with uh, California State University at Hayward, which found that 67% of Native Americans he surveyed, who he actually verified were Native, were opposed to the Redskins mascot. The study doesn't really tell us anything because we can't verify who these people are. Wow. So 90% the post says are completely not offended by the name, 67% in a poll that's 
more methodologically sound that actually verifies who's being spoken to yes. say that they said that the name was racist. Yeah, and he um, he actually was called by two Washington Post reporters you know, before this poll was released, and each of them asked him about his his results, and they asked the, they both asked the question of whether or not Native people administer the survey to Native people, hmm. and he he said the feeling he got from the question was that they felt that because his survey was administered by Native graduate students to Native respondents, that it was less valid. Wow. Yeah. That it was less valid than the Washington Post reporting on their own Washington Post poll. Well, yeah. And it's basically they're saying that Native people, you know, that somehow they're going to feel pressured to give the right answer when they're being surveyed by other Native people. As opposed to being asked by the Washington Post. Yes. And, and you know, no one ever asked this question about surveys done of, of white Americans. Like, should they be surveyed by other white Americans? No. You know, <laughs> you know, it's it's sort of a, it's really he said that he felt like that question was very revealing of their mindset. That's obviously such hot garbage from the post to say that. And it just gets to this question of how do you explain this whole thing by the Washington Post? I mean, it's living here in Washington, D.C., it has had the feel of a public relations rollout more than a serious journalistic enterprise. I mean, you've had the cover of their free thing that they give out at the Metro stops, the express big picture of the team helmet and a quote from a native American man saying, I actually like the name. It's unbelievable to me that they've played it up this way. What's behind this? Well, it feels like ethnic harassment to me, you know, I mean, and the fact that uh, native people are not taken seriously and, and the reason why we're so hard to poll, I mean, we're only barely 1% of the population. And actually one of the things that the California State University researcher told me was that they would need to get a much larger data set to have really good numbers. Um, He felt 500 was not enough. They'd have to get closer to 1500. And he says that getting, they would have to probably do over 50,000 phone calls to get that many. And um, they just uh, messaged me back and they said they had 28,000. And he said those take years to get. That took the Annenberg poll about a few years to get that many phone call responses. So, and he said it's actually unethical to poll to a certain group like that. And he felt they were mixing their qualitative versus quantitative, taking an anonymous poll and then featuring certain people, respondents. He says in, in social, that's a totally, you don't do that in social sciences. You have to, if you're going to do a qualitative Example, you have to give a good reason why this person was chosen, and it has to be upfront in your methodology. So it was a real mishmash, and I think you saw the Native American Journalists Association and Unity issued a statement saying that they felt like it was unethical journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, um, you know, a tenant in journalism where you minimize harm. And the American Psychological Association, of course, issued a resolution several years ago categorically stating that this was harmful to Native youth. And as such, should be completely eliminated, mascots in general. If I could, I just want to quote the Native American Journalists Association, the way they put it. They said that the poll was, quote, an attempt to legitimize a defined racial slur and is an egregious example of creating the news rather than simply reporting it. Yes. And and actually, um, I spoke to um, the NAJA president, Jason Begay, and he says that they are going to be um, looking at possibly, you know, um, filing this uh, complaint with the ombudsman of the Washington Post. And also, um, I spoke to another NAJA board member, and they may actually um, 
make a call to um, have the Washington Post completely take that reporting down because they, they think it's that unethical. Mm. And actually, they, I asked uh, Jason Begay, the president of Naja, and I said, you know, are there examples of, of ways in which this, you know, tenant would be used minimizing harm in reporting in the newsroom? And he says that the way they report suicides, like they don't report suicides individually because they know that studies tell them, psychological studies tell them that this could be harmful to their readers because right. people begin to use sort of a copycat approach. Right. And so they only report on it in the sense of it's a large trend, not individual cases. And so this is an example of how the APA resolution against mascots clearly states that it's the whole practice of masketry and you cannot make it turn into a, a game of semantics take one mascot and try to say, this is okay. Native youth are surrounded, Native people are surrounded by this phenomenon of being mascotted to a degree that no other group in the United States is mascotted. And it's egregious. It's completely unacceptable. You, know, you have to realize there are 2,000 high schools in the United States that have Native American mascots. And the NFL and other uh, franchises and, and universities that use Native mascots are helping to legitimize this behavior. We also um, lack any kind of representations in the media to offset that. So you will never see a Native family on TV as part of a sitcom, you know, featured in a film or, I mean, as the main characters. And, you know, you won't see a Native man saving the world in a multi-million dollar blockbuster. You know, these, you don't see Native people in any other role except as mascots. And, you know, the, the commodification of, of, the, of this country, I mean, this country was founded as a colony. Our lands were taken to, you know, feed the imperial powers in Europe. And our resources and our, and it's just, it's, I see it as, you know, all part of the same story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I always say is that if, if, uh, if you needed to have a genocide to have your NFL team name, then maybe you should rethink changing the name. It's to me a pretty logical point. Well, there's this notion that, well, we're pushing positive images of Native people as noble warriors and things. But those are images that are, uh, one, set in the past, and two, actually pigeonhole Native people um, in a very limited realm. And especially when you're talking about at the high school level, you're talking about youth who are being pigeonholed, not as what they may want to be in life, but as these sort of very static images that's where the harm comes into play. And, and the ability for people, for other Americans, that they can assume their identity. They're not, it's, that's where a lot of the harm comes to the youth because our identity is so fuzzy. And, uh, and the reason our identity is fuzzy is because our identity is political. The political part of it means that we have rights to the land and that directly threatens the United States' sovereignty and the existence of this whole colonial project of exploitation and extortion of, of resources. And so that's why our identity is fuzzy, because we've faced hundreds of years of policy under colonial governments and under the U.S. government to basically make our identity fuzzy. I do hope you know, that the Washington Post will be held accountable for what it's done. I mean, I think this was a huge lapse in ethics. You know, no other group would be polled about such a thing. And then the fact that they could actually believe that 90% seems credible to them means that they don't know any Native people. Mm. And that there are now more discredited polls about the Washington football team name than there are Native Americans in the Washington Post newsroom. So one <laughs> to nothing. Yes. We're putting this out there to the Washington Post to come on and defend this poll. Um, something tells me they're not going to be. I mean, this is the sort of thing that you put it out there and then you hide 
Yes, they dropped a bomb and then they um, they try to go under the cover of some sort of uh, journalistic distance. I mean, when they did that story where they uh, Teresa Vargas went and interviewed Native uh, activists afterwards and she actually interviewing Amanda Blackhorse, she actually started her sentence with, well, now that it's a fact that nine and 10 don't find it offensive, are you going to continue with your work? What's the use? You know, and they built a story and now they're basically steamrolling over the work of of Native people for social justice. It just feels very much like a PR rollout by a big time media consortium connected with a massive multi-billion dollar local business. And it really, I've got to tell you, it stinks to high heaven on this end. Yeah. Well, let's hope they don't get the stadium. Yeah, absolutely. And and isn't that something, though? I mean, and it's almost like they're irony proof, like that if all this is about stealing land, don't you think that might singe them a little bit or at least cause them some aspect of shame? Like we're going to push this Native American mascot tree, this racial slur, because we want to steal even more land. I obviously don't know what's going on inside the heads at the Washington Post uh, boardroom. I don't know whether the new ownership of Jeff Bezos of Amazon has anything to do this with this, but it, you, I mean, and maybe I'm just saying this cause I'm local. Maybe you don't even have a perspective on this, but there's such a marked difference in tone from the post, which has historically had very good positions on the Washington football team name. And then to just uncork a poll like this in the wake of new ownership and in the wake of Dan Snyder attempting to convince the federal government to give him land to move back into the city. There's just, there's a lot here that stinks and I can't put my finger on it, but that feels much more like corporate synergy than any honest look at journalism. Is, are you getting any of those sense as well up in, up in your spider sense here? Well, definitely I see the stadium as, as a big uh, indicator here of what's going on. And, but also it's about arrogance. And also I think that um, billionaires don't like being told what to do. And that's what Native people are doing. We're telling them that it's not okay and, and they don't want to hear it. And so they're going to fight. I, I actually, my first thought when I, I heard of the poll was that the, the empire strikes back. You know, right. and, uh, and, and maybe this is a sign of our success, too. I mean, that we are getting this kind of response. The only reason why they've orchestrated this is because of the incredible work people like yourself and Amanda Blackhorse have done. I mean, straight up. I mean, otherwise they would feel no need to do it. But like I've said to people, the people crowing online, who almost all of whom have some reference to the fact that they were interns at Breitbart or the Daily Caller in their uh, little Twitter bios, I say, like, look, you stand with Dan Snyder and Frank Luntz. How does that feel? Unless you feel like showering with steel wool, you really need to do a moral reality check. Yeah, I I think that Americans need to ask themselves, really ask themselves, why do we not know anything about Native people? And why don't I personally not know any Native people? Why do we have to make up Native people to fulfill our needs? And, you know, it's this um, whole thing where Native people have been relegated to the imagination yet the, uh, the ugly side of that, the reality that is genocide, is despair, is continued. I mean, Native youth have the highest suicide rate in the country, two and a half times that of any other group. Native youth are the most vulnerable population of the country. They don't need this. There's a reason why other groups are not mascotted to this degree. If African Americans were mascotted to this degree, we would have 20,000 high schools in the country that were had african-american mascots wow and um and even if they were mascotting martin luther king i mean you know mascots are not like this sort of benign sort of thing that's not what they're about right it's the degree to which we are mascotted and really you know this thing of trying to surgically remove 
the term redskins from the bigger issue that it's a part of is morally wrong. Yeah. The issue is masketry. The issue is how these things are used, how it makes Native people feel, and the way in which it prevents more Americans to know who we are, who we really are, and to envision us in those roles. I mean, you have to realize that politicians, Supreme Court justices, when they sit down, all they know about us are these stereotypes. They don't know anything about us. And, and so, like I often say, you know, mascots mask our actual lives, our real lived realities. And that's why they are so harmful. And makes it easier to render the problems in Indian country invisible if you yes. only see people as masks. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, all you have to do is re- read some of those Supreme Court rulings. It's just filled with ignorance, you know, and, and it's, it's at that jurisdictional level. And it's in the laws that are written. It's in the funding for, you know, Indian Health Service, for our schools. It affects us on every level, this ignorance that stereotypes promote. We need to stop it. We need a moratorium on mascots. The APA is completely correct on that. The NFL and particularly the capital of this country should lead the way in that if they have any moral authority. And uh, and they should care about Native youth. They should care more about Native youth than they care about making a buck. Because actually, if they really are concerned about making a buck, you know, Emory University researchers did a study a couple of years ago where they found that actually having a Native mascot reduces their actual income from those franchises. And it just shows you also that there's something else there, that they're clinging to something. And I think it's a post-civil rights movement mentality where it's like this is the last refuge for a white supremacist to just yell a racial slur at the top of their lungs. it's It's a colonial, it's settler colonial you know, it's this idea they came to this new world and it's theirs and that they have a right. It, it is trophyism, you know. So this is the trophy for winning this country. And how dare these defeated people speak up and say something about it. Her name is Jackie Keeler, preach, eradicating offensive native mascotry. Um, Jackie, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Sure. Can you give people out there your your Twitter handle, your social media page, and how people can stay up to date on what it is that you're doing? I am at at JF Keeler on Twitter. Eradicating Offensive Native Masketry's website is nomorestereotypes.com. Wow. Thank you so much. Be well. Okay. Thanks. Thank you so much to Jacqueline Keeler from Eradicating Offensive Native Mascotry. Up next, The Response, read by me from The Washington Post. A quick word about the new podcast, Dog Smarts. Does my dog understand what I'm saying? God, I hope not. Can my dog sense when I'm sad? God, I hope so. Can nutrition have a positive impact on my dog's cognitive health? If not, I'm wasting a lot of money on food. If you've asked yourself these very questions, you need to tune into the podcast Dog Smarts. Hosted by leading author and professor of cognitive neuroscience at Duke University, Dr. Brian Hare, each episode of Dog Smarts brings together the brightest researchers and academics to discuss what's really going on in your dog's brain. Download and subscribe to Dog Smarts on iTunes right now.
Thank you so much to Jackie Keeler from the organization Eradicating Offensive Native Mascotry. Now the response to her criticisms of the poll from Scott Clement, polling manager of The Washington Post. Again, this is a written statement by Scott. It was submitted as a response to an editorial that Jackie wrote for my publication, The Nation magazine, as well as for this podcast. Scott was invited to appear and make this statement for himself. He said reading his statement would be fine. I'm going to read it right now without editorializing. This is Scott Clement, polling manager of The Washington Post. The survey of Native Americans was conducted as part of five months of ongoing weekly surveys of U.S. adults conducted on cellular and landline phones by Social Science Research Solutions, a firm in Media, Pennsylvania. During those surveys, which interviewed more than 25,000 adults overall, respondents were asked what race they consider themselves. The 504 individuals who identified as Native American were immediately asked our polls questions about tribal enrollment, the Washington Redskins team name, and Native American imagery in sports. Self-identification is a survey technique that is accepted, common, and time-tested in measuring personal attributes in political polls as well as official surveys covering a wide range of other issues. The Census Bureau uses self-identification to measure race, and this method is also used in surveys reporting on health and other characteristics of the Native American population. The post-survey used self-identification as a starting point for compelling methodological reasons. This approach made it possible to compare the demographic makeup of the survey sample with Census Bureau statistics, allowing us to identify and correct for differences, which is the best practice in the survey industry. Using self-identification was also important to conducting a systemic national sample of the population, 95% of which can be reached through conventional or cellular telephones. To analyze whether attitudes differed among relevant subgroups, the Post poll asked respondents whether they were members of a tribe, and if so, which one. It also collected information on whether respondents lived on or near reservations. As it turned out, there was little variation in the responses to questions about the Redskins team name given by those who said they were enrolled in a tribe and those who said they were not. Similarly, there was little variation in responses from those who lived on or near reservations and those who did not. We see little reason to suspect respondents would intentionally misreport their racial identity or tribal status to a confidential survey. The overall poll results suggest respondents understood a distinction between racial identification and tribal membership, given that a majority of self-identified Native Americans said they were not enrolled. The substantive questions about the team's name came at the end of polls on other subjects and after survey respondents already had self-identified, leaving no motive or even opportunity for individuals to identify as Native American when they learned that the questions would center on the team's name. The Post pursued this poll without any idea as to how it would turn out and had no vested interest in its outcome. When activists argue that Native Americans are offended by the name and when debate over the name is at the center of a major public policy debate, it's entirely appropriate for a news organization to conduct a survey to test any assertions made about the breadth and depth of offense among Native Americans. This is customary for any other public policy issue. So that's the statement from the Washington Post. And I got to say, I have a couple of responses just on a couple of points. Because I, I, there, there, there's a lot here. I mean, first and foremost, as you hear, Scott Clement uses the census way of finding data on Native Americans as the gold standard that they were playing off of without 
commenting on the fact that that very uh, organization, the census, has been subject to withering criticism in terms of how it conducts these kinds of surveys about who is Native and who isn't. Second of all, he doesn't address directly Jackie's critique that self-identification is just not the way you poll Native Americans. And he just says that this is, this is what we do and this is the standard. Like he keeps going back to that, that this is the standard of how we do things and doesn't confront the fact that the standard is something that people have a great deal of issues with. Uh, third, the comment that the Post has no vested interest in the outcome of this survey is – Wow. I mean, at best is naive and at worst is disingenuous. I mean, of course, the Washington Post has a vested interest in the outcome of this. If it didn't, it wouldn't have put it on the front page of its newspaper with a big 96 point font and then on the cover of its express given out for free at every uh, metro location throughout the city. Uh, so that, that, that's a very curious thing to say. It had a, a hugely vested interest in the outcome of this poll. This was big news, big traffic, big money for the Washington Post. And again, they are a corporate sponsor of the Washington team. And lastly, it's kind of a staggering statement that they're testing the breadth and depth of offense among Native Americans. The breadth and depth of offense? So if it only offends 500,000 people, that's shallow offense? No, no, no. Being a racist really is like being pregnant. There's no such thing as being a little bit racist. You're either racist or you're not. Racism is not like horseshoes and hand grenades where you just if you're close racist, then it's okay. Give me a break. The breadth and depth of offense, it's either offensive or it's not. And on this question, I would much rather listen to the various tribal councils, dozens of them that have come out and called for the name to be changed. I would much rather listen to the Smithsonian Museum of the American Indian that has put out a statement right here in D.C. calling for the name to be changed. Those are the people I would much rather listen to when it comes to whether or not this name is offensive. People who actually represent Native American communities than random pollsters by, who talk to people who self-identify as Native Americans. People who have thought about this issue rather than people who are getting random calls in the middle of the day as part of a flurry of other questions about their attitudes about contemporary mores. The breadth and depth of offense. My goodness. Let me tell you something. Water can be as shallow as a wading pool. If you fall over unconscious, you're still going to drown. And now for some choice words. And for choice words this week, I'm going to read a piece I wrote for Grantland, the now defunct website on ESPN in 2013, about why the Washington football name should be changed. And this piece includes a challenge to Washington football team owner Dan Snyder. And given his crowing after this poll, his confidence that no one is offended by his name, I am renewing that challenge, which you will hear within this piece. So first and foremost, I want to read two quotes. The first is by George Preston Marshall, the arch-segregationist founder of the Washington football team name. And the Washington football team was actually the last team to ever integrate. And George Preston Marshall, when asked why he had no black players, he said, quote, 
we'll start signing Negroes when the Harlem Globetrotters start signing whites. Now, you can hear a total echo of that in something that Dan Snyder said three years ago when he said, we'll never change the name. It's that simple. Never. You can use caps. Well, dear Dan Snyder, history tends to be unkind to those who make bold proclamations against change. And you've made it crystal clear that you believe there's nothing wrong with the name of our region's beloved franchise and probably believe Webster's Dictionary to have some sort of politically correct liberal agenda when it defines redskin as usually offensive. You've never commented on its past use in this country as a term of derision, humiliation, and violence. But hey, why bother get hung up on history? As Lenny said on The Simpsons, that's why pencils have erasers. And no one has ever heard you speak publicly about the well-known connective DNA between the team name and the man who coined it, George Preston Marshall, the guy who was called the NFL's leading bigot by legendary Washington Post sports writer Shirley Povich. You surely know that Marshall was an arch-segregationist and your team was the last in the NFL to integrate. You probably see it as irrelevant to the name that Marshall had a deep affection for the slave South and minstrel shows or that for years he had Dixie played before home games. You've made it clear that you someday want to bring the team back to D.C. from the suburban hinterlands of Landover, Maryland. And you've also made clear your contempt for the D.C. mayor and the D.C. city council who've said that if you ever want to see public subsidies for this venture, the name must change. You also have never commented on the devastating letter from 10 members of Congress, including Oklahoma Republican Tom Cole of the Chickasaw Nation, who said that the name was similar to having a team called the Washington N-Words and that it diminishes feelings of community and worth among Native American tribes. Now, Roger Goodell sure has. Goodell answered Congress in a letter released June 11th, 2013, where he defended the name, quote unquote, Redskins, calling it a unifying force that stands for strength, courage, pride and respect. I'm sure all concerned are very relieved that to hear Redskin is a term of unity and respect, because if there was one thing that George Preston Marshall believed in, it was unity and respect. Oh, also white supremacy, unity, respect and white supremacy. In other news from the NFL, there is still no conclusive truth that traumatic brain injury is linked to football. But back to you, Dan. You say that you stand with the fans, but you've never commented on the fact that leading local fan blogs have said it's time to change the name. You say that the name represents the team's history of great players, but I've never heard you respond to former pro bowler Trey Johnson, who said it's an ethnically insensitive moniker that offends an entire race of displaced people. That should be reason enough to change it, end quote. I know you don't think the name is racist and wrong, and therefore I have to assume that you disagree with Suzanne Schoenharjo, a woman of Cheyenne and Muscogee descent, who said to me, for most Native Americans, there is no more offensive name in English. That non-Native folks think they get to measure or decide what offends us is adding insult to injury. People like Suzanne Harjo, Trey Johnson, and Tom Cole talk, and you just hear, pardon the expression, white noise. I know you're dug in. What I don't know is whether you realize that this change is going to happen. I don't know whether you realize that after 15, 16 years of a disastrous tenure as owner that has seen your local popularity rank just below that of the summer mosquito population, you are about to be a victim of your own success. The team is actually good now. Kirk Cousins led the Washington team to an NFC East championship. 
And if he stays upright and the team makes it deep into the playoffs, the more a national discussion this becomes. And the more this becomes a national discussion, the more shame will be thrown on you for clinging to this bigotry. And I think as Jackie Keeler just made so clear, this poll does not give you license. Not when the average person you talk to in this poll, and I'm going to keep saying this, is a white guy over the age of 50 from the American South. So imagine if your team does make the Super Bowl. I just think it would be unbelievable. I mean, they're going to be Occupy Redskins protests in the Super Bowl host city. If that's what you're looking at, the better your team gets. So either stay terrible and keep this your own dirty little secret, the fact that you cling to this team name, or watch the team flourish and watch you get lambasted as if you're George Wallace standing in front of a schoolhouse saying segregation forever. So I think what I need to ask you to do right now is take a road trip with me, Dan Snyder. This is an open challenge. I'm asking you to step out of your gated community and roll with me, midnight run style, to the Pine Ridge Reservation among the Black Hills in the great state of South Dakota. Once there, I want you to stand tall in a beautiful, or not that tall, but you know, it's all good, in a beautiful burgundy and gold starter jacket with your famous Redskins belt buckle and sing the fight song, Hail to the Redskins. Explain the rich history to everybody at the Pine Ridge Reservation. Tell them how it's really a tribute, as your former Vice President Carl Swanson said, quote, derived from the Native American tradition for warriors to daub their bodies with red clay before battle. Because, of course, if there's one thing George Preston Marshall was, it was a sociological expert on Native American history. Um, I think you'll find out the hard way that if your team name only exists because there happened to have been a genocide, then it might be time to think of a new team name. I am also afraid that when our experiment ends, you might need a trip to the dentist. But don't worry, that shouldn't be too bad. After all, you can use caps. And now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Guess who this is going to? This is going to Jackie Keeler, Amanda Blackhorse, Michael Smith at ESPN, J.A. Adande at ESPN, and everybody who is looking at this poll and saying, you know what? This goes against all of my experience talking to Native American people. And because I don't live in a bubble, I know that this poll is not true. And thank you, Jackie Keeler, for explaining in detail exactly why it should not be believed. Once again, Washington Post, you have an open invite to come on this show and try to explain to us why exactly this poll should be seen as legitimate. Based on what Jackie Keeler said, I'm not quite sure how you do it, but I hope you have the courage to do so. Be better than that, Washington Post. Seriously, be better. Are you the house that Woodward and Bernstein built, or are you the house that Jeff Bezos is trashing? Your call. You're welcome to come discuss it. Thank you to everybody for listening here at Edge of Sports. You can follow me on Twitter at Edge of Sports. You can send us email to edgeofsports at slate.com. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice so you never miss an episode. Last week, we actually interviewed the mayor of Rio and had an activist, Teresa Williamson, respond. You want to go back and listen to that at edgeofsportspodcast.com. Edge of Sports is produced by Dan Bloom for the Panoply Network. And music in today's show is by the Indigenous Electronica Trio, a tribe called Red. 
group member Ian Campau, a.k.a. DJNDN, is an outspoken advocate for changing racist team names in the U.S. and in his native Canada. So thank you so much. Uh, I guess uh, they didn't ask uh, DJNDN when they did this poll. Thank you, Scott Clement from The Washington Post for responding. We are out of here. Peace. We have taken the land which is rightfully ours. Years from now, my people will be forced to live in mobile homes and reservations. Your people will wear cardigans and drink highballs. We will sell our bracelets by the roadsides. You will play golf and enjoy hot hors d'oeuvres. My people will have pain and degradation. Your people will have stick shifts. The gods of my tribe have spoken. They have said, do not trust the pilgrims. And for all these reasons, I've decided to scalp you and burn your village to the ground. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.